official sliding on the instrumental Nordic combos, twisted mental like forbidden Peace to the public and power to the people Harambe Good people Welcome to the space where the vulnerable are powerful and where the most gangster thing you can do is serve. This is the All The Way Live podcast. This is indeed the All The Way Live show. We dropping the podcast out of it because this is so much more than just a podcast. This is curated conversation. Me and my brother Miles are community activists. We're community organizers. And what we do is create a space where impact meets art. And we do it for one reason, more than anything else. Obviously, we do it because we love the people. But more importantly than that is we do it to be a space of positivity. We do it to be a place where folks can come in, just get rejuvenated with new information, with new uh, with new maybe options of art that they can enjoy, a whole bunch of new cool things to go about their week because we know people are going through it. We know that depression is at an all-time high. We know that loneliness is at an all-time high. We know that people are feeling more stressed than ever. And so we create this space specifically for y'all to come through and also to sound smart around your friends and whatnot. You know, that's what we do. And we do it weekly. That's right. And gratitude for your attendance. Uh, and gratitude for you, sir, Zway. Uh, and gratitude to our producer, Hassan. Our, our guys are the reason that Exeter is in the building. And we always appreciate being in conversation with y'all. On this side, you know what's going on. Chicago is in the building. This podcast is recorded on stolen land. This land was cared for by the Potawatomi people. And I'm so happy to see more and more recognition of that, more acknowledgement of the history of this land, which is inseparable from from violence that was done to, to remove the... First Nations people from this land uh, and inseparable from the violence that we see in the city today, this country today, and this world today. So we always acknowledge that on this show, and we always lift up love between black and brown people the world over. We always lift up love for indigenous people, lifting up love for really um, everybody who has been a part of commemorating that history, uh, everybody who is an activist on the ground, and all of the people who are aspiring to make change as well. So shout out to y'all for joining us in this space. That's how we close the intro. And man, what a show we got for y'all today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. I get that. But is we live, though? Is we like all the way live, though? You heard? This is indeed the show where impact meets art. And we always get so excited when we get to highlight some of the folks that are doing cool art. You saw us last week, we highlighted our good friends, the Goody Room. Um, shout out to them for you know being so receptive of that act from us. It was genuine, and this week is no different. Miles Xavier, who are we highlighting on our platform this week? Yo, ND Art Life, right? Uh, and I've been going back and forth, whether it's ND Art Life or ND Art Life, that's a creative name, I really dig it. But this is an artist that, um, you know, we're talking about organic contact. Really, it's as simple as I was scrolling through IG, and it's just some stuff that really struck me. Uh, the way that he plays with color and patterns, um, the way that he sometimes incorporates pop culture references into his art, which is undoubtedly uh, Black. It's just, it's beautiful. Um, and so I've just been 
really digging this. It's been giving me life. And so I wanted to bring it to the podcast and let y'all see some representations of culture that I love. Uh, shout out to our producer, bringing it up. Shout out to our YouTube audience, getting to see it. Uh, but yeah, man, in the art life. In the art life, um, Nick Davis is the name of the artist. Um, and he speaks about taking a lot of inspiration from some of the classic uh, contemporary Black artists that came before us, before him, such as your Jean-Michel Basquiat, um, obviously heavy influence from there. Also grabbing him from um, a few newer artists as well. Uh, and it really does show it is a very cool take on black figures and the back and the black shape which i always tend to enjoy a lot i really dig like how over emphasize the blackness is on it i always think that pops out pretty well and if you look at the background color of this picture is actually one of our favorite colors teal as our logo is so you know this is a i think a great way for us to appreciate someone's art who clearly i think we we're into the same type of thing yeah, I'm glad you pointed out some of the things that I really that I really dug about it too. The the depth of the the black he uses in the skin tones, right? Of the browns he uses, those warm colors. But also like I love that he uses kind of off-white for people's eyes in a way that just kind of represents like a humanness, right? That it ain't always crystal clear skin and crystal clear eyes, right? Like there's a realism to that. Um, the looks on their faces even, right? Not being, you know, perfect smiles or even perfect um, expressions of a, of a one particular emotion, often like being complex, showing more than one emotion, right? I really, man, everything about it, even the, even the style that is a bit uh, reminiscent of animation, but also takes on these serious topics. Um, I'm just really, really infatuated with, with, what, uh, with what Nick is doing, so... Yeah, had to bring it to the people. This is the type of this is the type of art that we we would like to invest in. The type of art that we'd like to be able to hang up. So we do hope that uh, Nick gets to see this, and we do uh, hope that this adds more light and more shine into this dope work. My personal favorite is the image that he has with Jesus, and the half side of him is just completely colored in in this new. Uh, cool way. Uh, this is super dope. And we definitely look forward to highlighting a whole lot more type of art like this. And if you are an artist and you have something that you would like for us to show, do be sure to drop it into our Instagram. We're active there. You see, we're showing people off and we'd love to show off your work too. Big facts. Now go follow Nick. And if this reminds you of any artists that you know of that need to be bigged up, let us know too. Uh, get in touch with us, interact with us, and then you'll see that art displayed too. This is one of those episodes where I get so excited because we get to come here and have a conversation with one of my favorite people to have conversations with. And you know, we always say that impact and art is where this show intersects. We've talked about the art on the impact side. Are you doing anything cool this next week, Mike? M Mike, <laughs> Miles, related <laughs> to impact? I am my job in so many senses. I just am the mic, the voice, right? Uh, yo, reporting live with the hero uh, mixtape coming soon. We following up Dirk and them. But it's a, it's, it's a summertime, man. So it's always something going on. I'm super, super, super blessed to be um, supporting a couple of interns. Uh, and they have just taken some of the the information we've shown them about the community and ran with it. So um, they're helping us support the Chicago Race Riots bike tour, which is July 30th. Um, I'm also 
bigging up the my shy my future project which is um essentially an effort to compile all the resources in terms of activities and job opportunities um, for youth and, and young adults uh, into one app where it's easy for folks to access it, figure out what's going on in their neighborhood, what opportunities are in their neighborhood, how to get paid in their neighborhood. Um, and so I'm going to be speaking about that on a panel discussion next Saturday. Uh, I'll put that in our description somewhere for y'all to get linked to. Um, and today I'm chilling. I'm going to the Silver Room block party. Uh, I'm going to hit up some of my my affiliates and associates that are going to be at events there. But it's also going to be a great time with food and festivities. Um, so, yeah, it's always something going on. Summertime Chicago. Appreciate you for letting me, uh, you know, shamelessly plug a few of the things I got going on. I appreciate that. The thing I like most about what you said is that it's community related. Um, this is being highlighted by a producer. And that's exactly what this next week is coming up for us. Through our foundation, we're going to be reaching out to the Exeter prison and seeing ways that we can be able to bring some books to those prisoners this week. So if you'd like to get involved with that, hit up the Mandula Foundation page. We're still running a laptop drive and giving out a laptop. So if you are, if you know somebody within the South African region that needs a laptop, our competition is still open and running towards the end of this month. Um, keep a lookout at the end of the year. We gave away a scholarship. Look at our producer bringing it up. That's what's up. So we got our laptop drive right here, as you can see on the screen, to our YouTube audience. Um, running it through this year, man. Miles set a, set a tone. He said he wanted to give out 2,000 laptops. So that's what we're trying to target this year. Give out 2,000 laptops. If you got a laptop or need one, let us know and we'll make it happen. Yes, sir. 2,000 laptops. We dream big here on the All The Way Live experience. You feel me? And I just appreciate this segment so much for being able to big up artists we think are dope um, to highlight some of the impact work that's going on. Like you said, we spend a lot of this show trying to make sense of craziness in the world trying to talk through topics that are really really tough um so to be able to kick it off with our intro how we do showing appreciation for the history and for the land and then getting to have this artist spotlight slash impact segment um where we let people know what's going on how to get involved how to get engaged and who's on the cutting edge of being creative and incorporating that into our carefully curated content um i just appreciate you for for helping me build this structure and, and, and Hassan for making that come to life with his, his on the boardsness. So I'm just full of gratitude for y'all today and for y'all out there. Let's get into it. Where to begin? This one is uh, <laughs> yeah. This one is this one is interesting, man. Um, the replacements, replacement theory. Uh, it's this thing where white folks are um worried about being replaced. Uh, and as a non-white person, I gotta say that's never been a worry of mine. So I'm kind of trying to put myself in, in somebody else's shoes, someone else's perspective to understand why this is not only a real thing that people are, are worried about, but also like something that is 
snowball has snowballed into violence in several different spaces. Um, it's a lot to attack and encounter, and at the same time, there's a there's an element of it that I don't want to say is 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 light or is is funny, but I'm just I'm struggling with it. Zoe, help me out. So to give a full background, um, what my brother is referring to is the Great Replacement Conspiracy Theory, which was launched in, which was developed or brought to light in 2010 by a French author, Renaud Camus, and essentially does speak specifically on those points that you touch on, Miles, which is that there is a theory going, there's a theory that has been prevalent over some time that the majority, specifically within European and Western countries, are going to be reduced to minorities by the current minorities of those places. And in that, they'll see a dwindling in their privileges, in their rights. Why this is particularly interest right now seems to come from the Buffalo shootings that we had covered in um, March this year, February this year, where a young white American walked into a superstore, a superstore it walked into a grocery store and killed 12 people um he did so and left behind a manifesto that had 181 pages heavily citing this great replacement theory so the replacement theory is in reference to migration the great replacement theory in, spe in specificity is in relation to the minor is, is in relation to how we've been seeing a lot of these mass murders that have been happening um be accredited to I just wanted to make that slight distinction because it, it, it one is a larger theory, and then the other one is what is being used right now as a replace as a weaponized tool that people are saying that they're killing in the name of. Yeah, and I'm, I appreciate you for bringing in that most recent example of the the Buffalo supermarket shooting. Um, there was an El Paso Walmart shooting in 2019 that folks might remember. Uh, there was the Christchurch Mosque in 2019 in New Zealand, uh, Pittsburgh Synagogue in 2018. A lot of folks remember Dylan Roof in 2015. Um, and then the, there's a lot of this is said to have stemmed from and a lot of the people committing the violence are said to have drawn inspiration from the Norway car bomb and summer camp attacks of July 2011. So this is uh, something that's been going on for over a decade at this point um, and building to these, these very serious incidents of violence. As I, I mentioned earlier, I'm struggling with it because my immediate way of understanding this is like white folks, certain white folks are terrified of coming to minority, right? Like that's their greatest fear. But why? Right? Because of how they've treated minorities. <laughs> right? Like being being a minority population isn't an inherently bad thing unless the class above you is oppressive. And as the class that has been the majority in a lot of these spaces, <laughs> it's just it's just like it's the this guilt is so deep, right? Like I'm just trying to process it. So like put put it like this, right? Like when a guy cheats on his girl, right? There's I like this, this thing. Analogy. I like where this is going. There's this thing where afterwards, even if he don't get caught, now everything she does makes him think she's cheating, right? He sees cheating and everything because he done cheated and got away with it. And now he feels like she's cheating and getting away with it. 
she might just be minding her own business, right? Like, and that's and that's the other thing about this. People of color all around the world minding our own business, making love, <laughs> and white people found a way to make that about them. <laughs> we're not trying my to replace mother, you. <laughs> we just we just out here living, bro. My mother likes to say that the restless, uh, the guilty are restless. You know, the guilty are restless. And funny mm. enough, in that. In the research, that specific guilt that you're referring to was referred to as derivative discourse, right? And this derivative discourse is to say that um, the the main fear that is being acted on in this great replacement theory is stemmed into the acts of what they had done before. So it's like, don't take us there because we know what we've done there. But I think something that's important to, to highlight is that, granted, it's like, becoming super uh th this term right now is something that's being said a lot right you know in this moment because these mass killings are going up and they're referring to it it's not a new theory and in fact is stems back for hundreds of years um it even touches on lightly on when black americans were sent to liberia it was said that that had an element of that grace replacement theory in it um the greats gatsby refers to a book that was written that had uh which was pretty much the outlining manifesto of that which is the great race so they there is a, a history of this but more importantly right we we see the confederate flag here we're seeing swastikas and whatnot it actually <laughs> the french really love it the french <laughs> absolutely love it 50 percent of searches related to great replacement theory last year came from france wow and that's important context for me who often sees like the u.s and the united states as this great emanating point for racism and and xenophobia um and it's it's important to be reminded that these other countries with deep deep colonial pasts also are still carrying forward these legacies too um, I think one of the things that takes this from kind of like, get out of here, like kind of silly, right, to more serious is that that is often perpetuated by people with a lot of political power and influence, right? Like, it's all fun and games until people are seriously bringing this to violence and people that are in position to dispel all this disinformation decide that nah it's more to their advantage to inflame the fire and i feel like we see a lot of that here in the states you know gotta love what our producer has done is pulled up the the, the french national team uh, and you can see how many people of color are there and they do speak about um the racism that they do face within europe you know we get that a lot so much so when we saw that video of the dude who was the black guy in France was scaling up the wall to go save a baby and then was rewarded with a citizenship. The joke was, look at what you have to do as an immigrant in order to be able to uh, get citizenship in this country, almost indicating how tough it is. There is a lot of hypocrisy behind it, undoubtedly, but what is scary, and I like that you touched on that point, is that when it becomes into pop culture and into media, and then it is used as a tool on which people are getting hurt from, it brings into question who are the people that are promoting that. And in the US, quite recently, Tucker Carlson and Fox News have, have mm. 
really injected this great replacement theory into into the news, almost stoking the fire, saying that Latinos are going to be making Americans a minority, uh, white Americans a minority, black people are going to be making white Americans a minority, so much so that it even might even have close ties with the new Roe v. Wade abortion laws that we're seeing coming in. You know, who that specifically targets and uh, the people who are going to get most impacted from it are folks from low-income households. You know, Word. And yeah, I mean, you've you've brought it right to the heart of like who I'm most upset with. Because I feel like as long as we operate in spaces where there's freedom of speech, like there will be echo chambers where people are radicalized. And I'm not sure that that's something that we can or really want to eliminate. Um, that's the discussion for, I'm, I'm happy to have that discussion too. But it's like when people with power and influence validate and perpetuate these conspiracies that are so closely linked to violence, it tells me that they care more about securing votes or care more about securing viewership in the case of a Tucker Carlson um, then they care about the lives of the people that the most extreme constituents are going to take. So like, I put it, I see it like, I see it like if their, their thinking is if I make a statement that gets 30 people to vote for me or to watch my show, but it gets 10 or 11 people killed, I'm cool with that. That's how I see these politicians and Tucker Carlson and like, I think, and those are the people that need to be held accountable in addition to the people that are doing the actual violence. So what do you think we should do with your Tucker Carlson and with your um, Alex Jones, uh, who, you know, famously after the the Sandy, Sandy Hook murders, where a bunch of young children, about 15 kids were murdered, right? Um, said it was fake, and those parents went on to have said that they got harassed over some of the comments that Alex Jones had made. Now you hear it with Tucker Carlson, who is stoking this, these fires of, hey, great replacement theory. What should be the responsibility? What should be the, how do we hold them accountable? Yeah, you hit on the, you hit on the, the key point, I think, in this discussion, which is that um, they said it was fake, right? Like, that no matter what, like, people aren't going to, I don't know if I can think of any evidence linking this type of rhetoric to these acts of violence that would actively convince people to hold these people accountable. And that's like me being cynical, but it's also just like, I, I don't, I don't see it. I don't see our pathway to taking what we know about these incidents and what we know about these political pundits and making the people that already follow them care. But I think it's important for us to to still re name what we see happening because it doesn't take that much to to do the right thing. Like there are Republicans like Liz Cheney that I that I think understand the gravity of what you're doing when you're not when you won't disavow or or claim a statement that might incite people to violence is false. Because it doesn't take that much, right? If a big news source like Fox News just had a few more people like that to stand up and say, look, even like, all right, I'm putting on, so nobody takes this out of context, I'm putting on the voice of a Republican right now. But if I'm saying, as a Republican, I believe we need stricter immigration laws, but intentional, intentional replacement theory is bullshit, right? And, and violence against civilians won't secure political power for white people. 
That's what I want to hear, right? And what does it take to get people to understand that that statement and saving lives is more important than, or is more beneficial to society than, you know, their votes and the money. And it's just, I don't know how we convince them of that. It, it's quite terrifying. And especially because what you're referring to now is this gray area, this um, this middle line where there's a lot of room for all of us to be present on. You can want to have stricter immigration laws, but also believe that great replacement theory doesn't make any sense. And why everyone should be somewhat, um, why this should matter to everybody is because at the core of this theory is that in order for you to succeed, in changing the immigration laws and upholding the the right metric of who is supposed to not be replaced, right? At the heart of it, it says that you actually attack the the you you attack the people that will be protecting those laws. So they say, don't attack the people that are gonna be uh, don't don't attack the black folks in this particular instant. What you attack is the leftist group who's going to be the ones that are upholding those laws, and that's what you saw with um, Adam Bravik who in Sweden had that mass murder where he went onto a boat, you know, in a very elaborate plan, killed so many children at this um, liberal uh, liberal camp in off this island in Sweden, right? And so what he was saying in reference to replacement theory, he said, no, I'm killing them because these they're going to grow up later and be the ones who are putting in all these laws to have looser immigration policies and and things like that. So I think it kind of ties us all in together because it says, one, let's realize there's something that that's come from a long time ago. It's not new. This is this is hundreds of years worth of rhetoric that has been spewed. This is old news. These are old bars just replaced in a new way. And once we can understand we're being scared, we're, we're being force fed things to get to to be fearful of because they can't come up with any new ones it allows us then to approach it with a bit more um i think perspective yeah well i deeply appreciate you for even just saying that because that brings a little bit of clarity to it for me where yes like if we can all if we can all identify that the way that we're taking in information is not allowing us to have a proper conversation and is not equipping us with the facts that we need to continue to have a conversation then we're we'll be in a better place right and <laughs> it's crazy also because like i want i want like i can have i can have an ideological discussion about somebody who disagrees with me across on on these very same issues but like and I and like for sure, like I don't want to be I don't want everybody to think the way that I do. I definitely want there to be some little white boy who still gets the right to have a right wing ideology. But I just want him to know to draw the line at murder as a mean of perpetuating his privilege. That's what I'm saying. Definitely do not perpetuate your privilege by murder. We do not at all support that. Um, but it doesn't just limit, you know, it's not just limited to folks in America, you know, we spoke about how this is quite prevalent in Europe. And it's important because anti, um, it's important because denial of Islamophobia is also part of this great replacement theory. And that's also something that um, people see a lot. And that denial is to say that people are denying the fact that um, Islamophobia is real, and that it's merely just a tool that is used so that people can have sympathy uh, you know, it's it's, it's 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 meant to bring sympathy, um, and is will apply what they call these ideas of demitude. You know, where you 
over time have your privileges shrunk and you have all your rights as a white man shrunk um keyword being shrunk and so <laughs> you know that that keeps happening and so they're denying islamophobia so there's a lot of tools that are used as part of this great replacement theory it's not all out overt as i don't believe uh, people of color black brown people are going to replace us let me kill them sure that's a part of it um but there's also like we said other layers to it let's kill the people that are going to be protecting and creating laws that would allow that to happen let's um dehumanize people let's not believe in islamophobia all of those things are part and parcel with this great replacement theory so it's bad okay and it's 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 messed up because as you're saying that i'm like dang yes this affects so many groups of people of color we need to band together and use that as a means to unite and that i'm sure <laughs> is what white people are talking about and are terrified of right so it's really it's really difficult when there is so much fear that is rooted in guilt um i'm I, i'm still as a as a black man trying to figure out and that's and it's a shame. It's a damn shame that I'm sitting here as a black man trying to figure out how I can articulate that people coming together and even the realities of shifting demographics are not about eliminating white people to a white person. It's a damn shame that I'm sitting here trying to figure out how to articulate that. But here we are. And thank you for being with us here. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for being with us. And we hope we've been able to share a little bit of light onto uh, what the Great Replacement Theory is, because it is going to be one of those things that become prevalent with the coming elections, specifically in the U.S. You've already seen some candidates being asked about how they feel about the Great Replacement Theory. We've broken down what that is for y'all. We've broken down what critical race theory is for y'all. We've broken down Roe v. Wade before it was overturned. And that's because we want y'all to be informed and be able to make the right decisions when it comes to the candidates that they're going to put in front of us. There's no real way for us to fully change everything at the same time. But we do, uh, what we can do is be armed with enough knowledge to know who stands for the things we agree with, who stands for the things we don't agree with. And man, we just really um, hope that you can repeat this around your friends. That's <laughs> what so we do. There you have it. Replacement theory explained for the homies. Current news, one of our favorite sections on this show on current news, we bring to you guys the most up to date news and what's happening in politics and economics in world news. Uh, last week, we highlighted free Britney Griner. This week, we're highlighting the Sri Lankan political crisis that has happened um, over the last couple of months, um, resounding with the ousting of the uh, Sri Lankan president. Um, there has been crazy footage of seeing the protesters marching into his home, swimming in the pool that are now becoming iconic. Um, this has been um, something that has been happening for months, something we've been keeping our eyes on. And now that we finally got to this point, um, Sri Lanka is left with a few, is left with a lot to be able to consider and is also left with a lot to go in front of um, getting over their, their current issues. So we want to be able to highlight that, bring that up. Mr. Miles Xavier, what have you been able to find and tell me what your thoughts are on this political crisis? 
Um, well, I would say that it's a it's been it's been a really interesting one to follow because of the dynamics of Sri Lanka, right? Um, this is a country that just has been trying to rebuild peacefully after closing a chapter of civil war um, in 2009, which is not that long ago, right? And and so you still have wounds that are being that have been that are still fresh um, that people are trying to heal from, and for the people of Sri Lanka um, to be able to come together and 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 really like oust a regime that um, that they deemed as not representative of the people's interests, I think is is an incredible study for me as an organizer and and somebody who pays close attention to these things. Um, to give a little bit of context on on why this happened, basically uh, the Rajapaksas, um, it's two brothers, right? One was the president, one was the prime minister. Uh, they kind of upon assuming power turned the government into a family affair um which meant putting people in place that might not necessarily have been the most qualified for the position but they were really close with tight with you know family in law nieces nephews um and the result was a lot of mismanagement of funds um so severe in fact that the balance of trade was such that they don't have enough us dollars to continue um, purchasing goods, right? The import-export balance, when you're importing more than you're exporting and you're trading with a lot of companies or countries that do those trades um, in U.S. dollars, if you're mismanaging those funds, you run out of the dollar, the currency that all those funds are bought in. So, um, and it's not, and, it's, and a, lot of, a lot of countries operate on a debt system, right, where they owe other countries. But think of Sri Lanka as having... Um, maxed out their credit card to the point where they can't make their minimum payments, right? It's okay to have a little bit of debt, but they, they, they really struggle in financially. Um, so this is affecting the economy. People's savings are worth less because the, their currency is, is plummeting. Um, and because of things have been so severely mismanaged, no one knows what the bottom of this crisis looks like. Um, and that's a situation that a lot of people, um, a perspective that a lot of people in Sri Lanka held and decided that um, was untenable and gathered to um, take hold of a few of the political buildings uh, in Colombo and some other uh, cities in the area. And the uh, Rajapaksas, they fleed. They got up out to jam, um, tried to flee the country, and then uh, ultimately each resigned from their positions over the last couple of months. And here we are. I'm glad that you highlighted a lot of the reasons why Sri Lanka got to where it got to, and even highlighting how it's like they've maxed out on their credit card. And that's completely true. And that credit card bill right now stands at $55 billion. Now, this is a country of 2 million people. Um, so it is quite a small country. By the time of the Rajapaksas leaving Sri Lanka, their national reserves as a country, how much money they had was under $1.7 billion. That is less money than Kylie Jenner has. That is not a lot of money at all for two, for 2 billion people, right? So what we're speaking of is not just a political crisis, but like my brother said, an economic crisis, because at that same time, um, hundreds of thousands of people have been forced into poverty, into Sri Lanka. Food, there is no food in the country. People have been waiting days and days in line um, for food and for petrol, so much so that 
a rickshaw driver is said to have died waiting in line for petrol for 10 days, for 10 days. And so it's been, like you said, a large mismanagement of funds. This scares me because it, it made me really think of South Africa. It made me think of my home country and what's happening. And if there ever is a cautionary tale to be had to countries of what happens when you have corruption that is compounded by ineptitude, and then, you know, what happens at that point with the reduction of what the food that people can access, electricity, um, the prices of fuel flies up through the roof. This is inevitably what happens, right? So you see this, this spiral coming down. And that's what happened in Sri Lanka. Some of the laws and mismanagement came from them um, quite abruptly just deciding to ban the use of chemical products in farming and wanted to go all organic. They said from this, from this day on, Sri Lanka is an all organic farming country, which, you know, when you explain it out loud, sounds like it doesn't really matter much, but it actually does matter because in countries like that, you need a lot of chemical assistance in order to be able to grow products. And so that led to a famine, which then led to them having to need to borrow more cash quite quickly um, to be able to spend on importing goods. And so when you have these sorts of bad decisions that keep happening again and again and again, you end, finally end up in a situation like this. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I love how you highlighted that, right? Like that effect where you can't, it, it can sound really good, right? Like organic, yeah, they slapped organic on every food in American grocery stores because it got people to buy it. People want organic. People want to be healthy, right? But I'll take it like this, right? Imagine me or you saying we want to go paper free today, right now, this very moment. Sounds good, right? Because, of course, we want to save the planet. We don't want to use paper. But I got a lot of things right now that are on paper that I would need to convert foist. And if you don't take the time to convert foist, if you just say this thing and try and do it, you're going to have disastrous results. So it's something that could have been implemented over time. I think Germany has like a pretty decent percentage of their food that's that's organic. I think, But I think it's like 4%. Right. Not 100 percent. So they they and, and, and that's a mark of a lot of what they were involved in that led to this um, political and economic crisis that has led to this just crisis in Sri Lanka. Right. Huge infrastructure projects, including the Lotus Tower, which is very beautiful again, but not being used for much, expanding their ports. Um, they cut taxes in a huge way, which again, sounds good. And they did this as a political maneuver to gain votes, but left them in a position where the government's not taking in enough money to take care of, um, all of the infrastructure that it needs to as the government. So they left it in shambles. Um, the people said enough, uh, but it's still in shambles. So where do we go from here? Now, Sri Lanka is faced with a very serious issue of being without a standing president. And to the eyes of money, people who would usually borrow money to companies, it's that becomes more risky. It's like, yeah, we trust you, but also at the same time, you guys just lost your president, which means you're more shakier than ever, right? So it is going to be quite difficult for them to be able to um, find ways to... to 
to get funds injected in. They say that they need at least $22 billion in order for them to get enough food and fuel and resources into their people to fight this humanitarian crisis. Um, and to which China said, how much? 22? Okay, how about, um, let's start with five, see what happens, you know? And so then begins the then begins the question of if other countries aren't willing to be able to step up and help, who's supposed to help these sorts of countries? Because at the same time, you're like, granted, I get it, you're in an emergency, but also uh, you owe me 55 billion though. So if I'm extending this to you, it's a bit of a tricky situation. Yes, man. Thank you. You, yeah, you you broke it down. So, um, just to get back to like laying it out, how it happened. Uh, Prime Minister Mahinda Rajapaksa res resigned in May. Um, the president uh, Godabaya Rajapaksa fled the country on July 13th. He escaped without resigning, but eventually the Speaker of the Parliament announced that they got a hold of my guy, um, and they received his resignation. So now they have an interim president. Um, with Ramasinghe, right? And he was sworn in two days ago. So they're trying to make moves to create stability because you're absolutely right. Um, all of their prior lenders, the IMF, the the UN are are looking to see some type of stable government before they can issue any type of bailout, right? That's got to be issued to somebody that has some type of infrastructure in place where <laughs> they're not just throwing the money into the fire uh, of, of this of this instability and crisis. And so they're looking for that. And also, as you mentioned, a lot of folks um, are, are looking to China, right? And, and kind of examining China's role in this. Um, as I was investigating, as as my brother likes to like to say, y'all be messing up our searches with some of these topics that we'd be going into. Um, there was a lot of uh, Chinese debt trap. That was a whole rabbit hole that I went into. Um, what's your take on what the Chinese saying? debt? What's, what's, what yeah, you, did you come across that? I did not come across the Chinese death trap specifically, but I do know that there is a lot of predatory lending and um, yeah. very intelligent. But um, it's it's the new it's the new age colonialism, and one of the ways that they do it, and in how they presented it to Sri Lanka, is they said, "Hey, listen, um, your guys's currency right now is worth nothing, and we will lend you cash, but that cash will be in the form of a Chinese yen. So now you have to use our money, and that would be towards the credit. So that would be replacing their uh, monetary system, which ties them almost indefinitely into." China. So they can only repay back any of their debts through China, which then increases the banking the banking institution, the global banking institution that's China, almost like how we got to the dollar. So what are they saying specifically about that Chinese death trap, though? That's death what they're trap. saying, man. Death trap. Death trap, right? Death trap for countries. They're saying that's what they're saying. They're saying that... Uh... Uh, that that China is Tony Soprano and you came to him asking for a favor and he might know that you can't really repay back that favor, but you know, he gonna go ahead and loan you the cash anyway. You default on some of the payments. Now you're in his debt, right? Specifically in the case of China, what they were accusing was that China was allowing them to invest in infrastructure like those ports they were building with the intention of allowing them to default on those loans and then taking control of those ports, right? Which they have, but they are not doing military operations through those ports. The The entire project was brought to China by Sri Lanka and not the other way around. So um, how much weight you want to put in that, in that theory um, is up to you. Do your Googles, do your research. Um, 
But bringing it back to what we do know for sure, and as Zue mentioned, a lot of folks are looking to China because they hold a significant amount of that debt. And if China says, hey, we're not willing to budge on this, then a lot of the other creditors and potential um, allies that might be willing to bail out Sri Lanka are looking like, well, we could give you the money, but if China's not going to forgive the debt, then you kind of going to be stuck. It's not going to fix anything anyway. Um, so it's a sticky, sticky, sticky situation. Um, but like we were saying, um, they're, they're trying to form an interim government in Sri Lanka. Uh, it began the, a couple of days ago with the um, uh, moving uh, Rick Ramasinghe into the acting president and uh, will continue with an election hopefully to be held this upcoming Wednesday. So we'll see. It's not even just about, because when they say China borrowing money and when you call something a China debt trap, you know, um, it, it does really, it does sound bad, but it's not just China. Sound like something Trump would have came up with, right? <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Definitely sounds like something Trump would have came up with, but it, also is a bit misleading because it almost insinuates that only Chinese lending has debt traps, and that's not particularly true. So if Word. you look at the history of, say, the IMF, right, the International Monetary Fund, the IMF has a very long history of borrowing capital to countries and then forcing them to adjust their government, um, specifically the how government hires and pays um, government workers, and it's had a, like a, a long history of really crushing companies way past the value of how much they had lended them for. And what <laughs> institutions with power over huge sums of money are corrupt. It's, it's beyond <laughs> corruption. It's beyond corruption though. Right. Cause corruption is would influence who gets the money um, to a certain extent. But what they're doing is that they're forcing countries to have to adopt to a certain way of operating that is not always conducive to the long-term growth of that country. So they'll say, we'll give you $200 million as the IMF, but for one, you need to uh, cut a third of your your current uh, government workers. You need to stop funding of certain um, initiatives and certain departments. Uh, you need to adjust these rates and you need to adjust these tax rates at a steady rate, and you can only use a certain denomination. And in a crunch you say sure we'll take it but then as time goes by and they say okay these tax rates actually aren't working now we want to adjust them or we want to hire more government workers they won't have the liberty of being able to do that so it's it's kind of a cash 22 stuck in between who's the right person to get money from who's not and will they bounce back cash 22 is my favorite book go ahead and read that um also yeah uh this show continues to uncover that everybody basically moves like the mob. Uh, everybody moves on consignment. Everybody is forming, uh, what's it called? Cartels. Um, so it's the, it's just another one of those situations where, yes, we as the All The Way Live <laughs> experience could try to tackle um, the corruption of the, the International Monetary Fund. But I think what the Sri Lanka crisis really boils down to is... Um, we're really seeing we're really seeing how deeply corruption can hurt the people because and even in trying to form this government it's going to get worse before it gets better um they're facing instability those lines for gas aren't going anywhere in the immediate future uh those lines for and those high prices for really necessary goods aren't going anywhere in the immediate future um so 
I'm 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 with mixed feelings. I'm I say hold your head to Sri Lanka because it's incredible to be able to oust folks that don't represent you and in, in your interests, but um it's a hard road ahead, you know. It is. And the reason why we want to cover the story, like we said, is to also understand that there's a lot happening right now in the global fear. There is the Sri Lankan government overthrow. You have Brexit that's happening right now. You have farmers who are protesting prices in the Netherlands. You have a cost of living crisis that's happening, a looming recession um, pending on the U.S. economy. These aren't things just to scare people, but it's for us to have context about what's happening around us. Why is it that the world feels the way that it's, ha- that it's feeling right now? And the saying that I keep coming back to is that it never feels like history when you're in it. You know, it never feels like you're in the middle of historical moments when you're in it. And when we look back at this particular period in time, we're going to say this was a bit of a crazy time for us. And so everything is intertwined. Everything is interrelated. Um, and we hope to keep you guys informed on that. But despite all this smart stuff that we be talking about, despite the hours, hours of research that we put into this show, despite the meticulous note-taking that we do, people seem to love <laughs> this one particular part of the show more than any other part. Yo, despite the note-taking we do, they love Wreck and Review. I don't feel right starting this one. I feel like you got to start this one. Yeah, this toxic stuff's for me, y'all. <laughs> this toxic stuff's for me, y'all. I hate to be the target audience of this uh, Brent Fayez Wasteland album that we're reviewing. Uh, Brent Fayez is uh, listed as an R&B and soul singer. Um, if you formally, if you are familiar with Brent Fayez, he was previously on Sonder, uh, which is a collective. Um, absolutely dope music came up from uh, SoundCloud Days. This is going back to his first EP, Sonder Sun, dropping in 2017 made us wait for a while before giving us the Fuck the World EP that came out in 2020 uh, to much critical acclaim on there. In between that, obviously featured in Crew with Gold Link. Um, but it seemed like folks were waiting on this particular Brent Fires more than I can remember folks waiting on um, his music before. And this is now this grand dropping after dropping a whole bunch of uh, dope songs like Summer in Paris, uh, or is it Summer in London? Uh, a whole bunch of things that I can relate to. Hey, he's talking about heartbreak. He's talking about toxic stuff. And he's talking about me. <laughs> yes, I can attest for sure that Brant is talking about Zway. Zway is Chris <laughs> from all the skits, if y'all was wondering, right? Yes, it was a pseudonym. We're filling y'all in on who it was. <laughs> Uh, but this is also for me, um, especially from the perspective of somebody who cannot let go of 90s R&B uh, and the way that Branch structures his songs, the way that he layers his vocals, um, the way that he uses drums. Uh, he always keeps a little bit of that 90s vibe in there. Um, and it sounds like 
Aaliyah influence. It sounds a little bit like Sade. It sounds a little bit. It's always it's it. I really, really love his approach to the music because it doesn't sound like he's trying for hits or radio singles um, in his approach to R&B. And he relies a lot on his voice uh, and his writing ability. And even in the places where it doesn't really work for me, I, I can respect it. Um, I have mixed feelings about Wasteland as a huge, huge fan of Brent. Um, uh, Fuck the World and AM Paradox are some of my favorite projects of R&B to come out in the last few years. But... Um, Wasteland was a little bit, uh, it was hard for me to get through even as a fan. And I, even as I'm saying that, maybe hard for me to get through isn't the right phrasing. But you know when you get an album from somebody you really like and you're listening to it and you're like, you really like them, so you're explaining to yourself why you like the songs you're listening to as you're going through the album, you know what I mean? And then you catch yourself doing that and you're like, uh, I didn't have to explain to myself why I liked the last joint. Um, that's where I found myself with this one. I see you smiling. What you do? You what you say? What you what you think? I'm thinking we should coin that the Kendrick effect. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> veto. <laughs> when you're explaining to yourself, I really do like this album. I love this guy. He never misses. But. Um, that's interesting you say that because a lot of people are feeling that way about it too. I will say that the competition for R&B music right now is quite high. This particular brand of R&B music has always come to mixed reviews when it comes to um, the say the, the vocal delivery of some of Brent's songs. He has been accused or has been considered by many as being a bit lazy when it comes to vocal performances. Um, I think Fuck the World the album before had more noticeable um that had more noticeable moments in him him really flexing his vocal abilities specifically with been away i think been away was a was a very cool song but it with this album being a bit longer than that 19 tracks a few skits in between you there is a bit of ear fatigue that does come along with it but the songs that i do like i do like a lot um, it is for me, uh, offering that I'll be happy with a bit Ellie Sostre, if you're familiar with him, I think Ellie Sostre, um, this sounds like, um, this sounds like a lot of what I'd expect from Ellie Sostre to be able to produce. I was hoping with Brent being a bigger artist now than he's ever been following the success of fuck the world, that there'd be a bigger feel to the music, that the music would really dive into a lot of the the audio layers that we're getting from artists specifically if you're looking at what sabrina claudio is doing if you look at what summer walker is doing even what Giveon did with this last album they're taking the sound quality to a whole different range and that was the um the the content on the nose spot on the delivery of the audio quality of it um not my favorite I'll throw a caveat at that, and I don't know if you agree, but I feel like it was it was there in certain spots. Um, role model, dead man walking, um, wasting time, price of fame. But I think it was in a few of the spots that we had already heard. I think gravity is a vibe. Gravity is a bounce. And I, I attribute a little bit of that to Tyler, the creator. That seems like it could fit in, slide in, or call me when you get lost. Um, but... 
I think there are spots where, to your point, right, on this, I don't think he's flexing his voice so much as he's flexing his versatility over different types of production that still aren't the what the mainstream is is used to. Um, and as a, somebody who was in love with what The Weeknd was doing as a, as a younger, more independent artist and can appreciate his success but isn't really loving the complete turn to pop i can appreciate somebody staying very very far away from that um and i think that's kind of what guided me through the album right villains theme i listened to it what i immediately got from that as an intro was it's clouded with voices and and all these different types of um layers of audio that represent just a overwhelming life and that's what you get from the project right it's overwhelming too much is coming at him he can't deal with everything that's coming at him in life loose change when i heard that i'm like He's going a little bit more for a, a longer, more drawn out version of saying what he's saying. And I could appreciate it, but I didn't really love it. Um, Gravity a hit, but I heard it before. Then it gets to Heal Your Heart and it's an interlude. And then it gets to five and it's a skit. You know what I mean? So I'm six tracks in just starting to get into something that feels new to me. And I feel like that was a mistake almost as a as a structural thing with this album, bro. Um but from six on, I find spots where I can really appreciate just what he what he adds to and and holds and brings into and and honors the tradition of into into current R and B. Um, and maybe I'm just I'm just a huge fan. And, but I just I just yeah I think you're being a little too. I think his vocals are he does what he needs to do to get his point across on the songs, and it's not the most vocal vocally verbose, but it's really. I think he's really showing his talent here. And this doesn't make me slower to run to his next project. I'll say that. I, I like how you, I like how you said that. Doesn't make me slower to run to his next projects. And again, it's one of those cases where if you had not heard Gravity before or Wasting Time before or Dead Man Walking before, that was your first time stumbling on him on this album. It, you know, I think your opinion changes. And that's just talks, that's just the case of how we take in music today but you're right that role model i think for me was a standout track so dope um so hard very weekend reminiscent of of uh, that house of balloons feel um specifically if you think about birds birds too it's, it's got that feel to it and i'm a big fan of that sound of that music rolling stone is one of my stand is one of my favorites on this album wasting time is good um this is cool r&b absolutely going to make a sex playlist of mine for show a few tracks on there and i might even drop that on our soundcloud i'm thinking three out of five for this thing what you thinking i'm down to rock with three out of five man i'm down to rock with three out of five that's still better than 50 percent. and as our resident r&b head what else should people be diving into if they are digging this Oh, Miles, I'm so glad you asked. What you can dive into is the Uncle Jams, uh, my Uncle Jams uh, playlist that I drop on uh, on Apple Music. Check out our SoundCloud. We'll be dropping playlists over there, too. A whole lot of Afro beats for this black boy over here. A whole lot of Afro beats and a whole lot of the R&B that came out this week. I mean, that came out this year. A lot of Summer Walker. The guys that I've mentioned, that's what I'm listening to. What about you? What's on your Serato? No cap. If you were digging the, if you want to, if you like this and want to go a little bit further away from traditional R and B, but just hear some amazing vocals, check out that new 070 Shake. That is heat. 
straight heat. You can't kill me. That is heat. I've been digging that. Um, I've been checking out uh, Shay Leah. I've been rocking with Shay Leah lately. Uh, Amari Noel. Um, rinsing that that Nonso Amandi. Amadi. And uh, Yendry. Check out Yendry. Y-E-N-D-R-Y. She got a single with Dame Lee and Marley called You. Um, that's a vibe for everybody. If you don't like that song, hit me up personally and I will give you $5. And might possibly fight you too. Miles might fight you. <laughs> yeah, you got to fight me for the five. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you five, but you got to fight me for it. Yo. And, great and song. Listen, I think I think we're going to give these people a whole great show. And we want to appreciate absolutely everybody for rocking us with us to this point. We see the YouTube audience growing. We see uh, the likes going up. We see the views going up. And we appreciate each and every one of y'all. It doesn't matter where you're listening to this from. Um, you are great beyond your greatest imagination. Remember that. Yeah, no kizzy. Uh, and we do this thing because we know. We know. Y'all could be anywhere in the world. Y'all are anywhere and everywhere in the world. Um, so whether you driving, studying, flying, writing, painting, uh, eating, cooking, uh, we appreciate you rocking with us, tuning in with us, and helping us figure out what is going on with the world. Um, this is a celebration of celebrating. This is a celebration of life. This is a celebration of how good it feels to be black. Don't it feel good way? Favorite thing? We're coming for you, white people. Just kidding. Eat something delicious. <laughs> Hug somebody you love. Like that. Peace. Water. We gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. I get that.